Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Thanks for joining us once more. Daniel Gallon will be with us in just a bit. He and I are both fresh out of the Beaver Stadium media room where we met with James Franklin, uh, our weekly installment of that. Certainly a different feel to this one coming off a loss than what we've dealt with dealing with James Franklin for a while now. You know, going back to last October, the last time we encountered him, had to ask those tougher questions after a defeat. I'm sure plenty of you out there will say you didn't ask tough questions. You didn't ask tough enough questions. You should have screamed and shouted at James Franklin. And I understand that's where a lot of the uh, the emotions are right now. We heard about some of the emotions coming from Penn State's facilities. James Franklin saying there were a ton of raw emotions after the Ohio State loss. And we'll break that all down in just a bit. We're also going to get to the Indiana Hoosiers who happen to be coming here to Happy Valley. You would have had a hard time knowing that from our press conference. Indiana, aside from some conversation in James Franklin's opening statement about who's on that staff and who's on that roster, the Hoosiers were not mentioned during our 37-minute press conference today. So maybe we'll get a little more uh, focus on them later in the week. We'll do our best to, to bring them uh, to the forefront here later in the show with our Indiana 24-7 sports beat reporter. So we'll break them down in a bit, but a lot of attention to begin on these Nittany Lions, now number 10 in national rankings. And Daniel, you were on with us on Monday. Of course, you were on with us in the post-game podcast on Saturday uh, when those emotions were raw and you had experienced them yourself and putting your microphone into the face of guys like Drew Aller and Theo Johnson. And it's part of the job. You know, it's always great to t- talk about uh, how well everyone did and the, and the success of a win. But the other part of the equation for what we do is we've got to ask about the, the, the losses, too. Um, so I'm curious. Coming out of that, we've heard from Don DeLuca, team captain. We've heard from Alex Falcons, a kicker who had a nice little game for himself out in Columbus. Caden Wallace, a veteran on this team. James Franklin, few voices added early in the week. How do you feel about this team's ability to move on from that emotional moment post-game in Columbus? I, I think they know what they need to do to move on from a loss like this. But at the same time, it, it's easy to say you know what you need to do and then actually doing it. <clears throat> I mean, I think that you look at Drew Aller and just how he was wearing that loss. Uh, you think about some of the other guys that we talked to and kind of the just how down they were after that game. You know, it's been nearly a calendar year since the last time that Penn State lost. But I think they know that they have to move on. We, we've heard it a couple times from players, I think, after the game Saturday and then today in some of our calls that the season isn't over. They still have five games left this year. Um, they're not looking at it like this, but from our perspective, we knew coming in that this was, if Penn State took care of business, this would be a two-game season. So you still have everything that Penn State wants to accomplish ahead of it uh, with Michigan coming to town in a couple weeks, and who knows what else can happen elsewhere uh, that can really change the picture of things. So I think that there really is, I do think Saturday was very demoralizing for this team. I think that it's something that a lot of these players are going to have to to wear. Uh, even when you think about the two losses last year uh, that that Penn State had, neither one particularly particularly struck me as as gutting as this one. I, I think at Michigan they got blown off the field, and then in Ohio State that was a weird game that just really got away at the end. And I think that you could really point to those turnovers, and you could point to JT Tuomalo out as someone who really wrecked that game. And it wasn't really the same case this year. I mean, that game was just really in the balance the whole time. You know, Penn State really did struggle on third down, and James Franklin kept coming back to that today as the the main reason that Penn State lost. But that's a little bit different than 
untimely turnovers or big play guys making big plays. It was just a very kind of tit for tat game and Penn state really did have a chance. And I think that that's something that does take a couple of days to get over. It, it's only natural. That game was there for the taking for Penn state as much as any in the series in five years, you got to go back to the 2018 game here when McSorley goes off and chase young has the, the, the punctuation mark at the end of it. Uh, the last time where it felt like Penn state was right there ready to win the game against Ohio State. Um, they did not. A big part of that was offense. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. James Franklin had a ton of questions uh, sent his way about uh, where things stand on that side of the football. But I think generally just sticking with this, Caden Wallace was pretty open with us uh, this morning on a conversation uh, about saying, look, you, you can't say you're already past it. You know, It's a process. To, to say that on a Tuesday morning when we spoke with him, that, that oh, yeah, that's in the rearview mirror. Now, he was earnest in that way and saying, like, we, we got to get on the practice field today. We got to start learning more about the Indiana Hoosiers Sunday. We, you know, as we prefaced in our pre postgame podcast on Saturday, it's going to be a very difficult day in the way that James Franklin has described the last few days, lacking much rest. You know, he said, as you can hear from my voice, which I'll give him credit, his voice is holding up pretty good. I couldn't really pick up on it, but I think just ju judging by his face and his body language, you can tell he's lacking that sleep. That's what he said. Um, not sleeping much. Uh, he, he mentioned some long hours in the office. They already have long hours, but when you're adding to that and stacking on them and some hard discussions is the phrasing that he used about what's happening in that facility. I took that more as uh, between him and his staff. Though I'm sure that extends to the players as well. Um, man, this is, a, this is a coaching staff that's been through a lot together, but you'd imagine that when you come out of a, a matchup like this, where one side of the football utterly fails to really execute throughout the game. And, and Franklin kept circling back 0 for 15 on third downs, third down with the story when it's so strongly landing on the, on the scale of one side of the football, you wonder what is on this staff plate this week and, and, and what they're putting together. Fortunately for them, uh, they're taking on probably the worst team that they'll face in big 10 play all season. Yeah. I, I think that the way that the schedule set up for Penn state is, is very, very nice. Uh, I mean, it was supposed to be really nice going into Ohio State with with how that set up and, and that didn't work out for them. But I, I think having Indiana after this really should be a soft landing. We know how pesky the Hoosiers have been in the past, but given what has happened to that program over the past two or three years, it's kind of hard to see that happening again. But I, I think that they still have everything in front of them. They have a chance to right the ship against Indiana and then you go to Maryland, which kind of always feels like a little bit of a wild card in what you're going to get. Are you going to get 2020? Are you going to get 2021 where they're trying to make things interesting? Or are you going to get 2022 where you just dominate them from, from front to back? So, and then after that, you have Michigan. So well, what, what is Maryland doing? Are they, what are they building this as? Uh, they have some kind of theme night? Theme uh, game, it's going to be, going to be a gold out. I, so that 2019 blackout. Yeah. I mean, Sean, that was Sean Clifford's Big Ten <laughs> debut, and they shut it down. But I'm sorry, we shouldn't be talking about wins and nice moments. We're supposed to be dwelling on a defeat right now. I didn't mean to change up the flow. Go back to you, Daniel. Well, I got I got to get the aside in that Maryland did a good job uh, with the new uniforms this year, but the uniform combination that they're going to wear against Penn State is definitely their worst. Uh, I would, you know, as a as an alum, it's nice little know, teaser I don't, there. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can we can talk Maryland uniforms, Maryland week. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, but you know, where, where we are with Penn State right now, I, I think that it's just setting up nicely for them to rebound, but the players have to take that on. I, I think that that falls to the coaching staff too. Um, and I think that we're going to see what 
we're going to see how good of a coaching job this really is. I, I think that you learn a lot about adversity or learn a lot about a team through adversity. We talked to James Franklin earlier about trying to learn without that adversity. Obviously that doesn't, that didn't happen. So now is really, really the time to make these improvements, figure out what this team is all about. Um, I asked a couple of players on Saturday and then I asked another one today last year that Penn state was really good about bouncing back. Uh, you saw it against Minnesota. You saw it in the last four games of the season. Can they do that again this year? You know, why should we think that they'll do that this year? Um, I think it's a young team. I think it's a really talented team. I think it's a team that has veterans in good spots that have been through a lot that should be able to help them along. But it's going to be it will be interesting to see what this looks like early on Saturday. Something that both Caden Wallace tried to get across to us. He kind of had an aside during an answer this morning. And James Franklin brought up in his own ways a couple of different times in the press conference was, hey, don't judge our offense by one game. Don't judge our offense by 60 minutes of football. Uh, I think James Franklin brought up statistics that the, where they were in, in you know, Big Ten rankings and all the stats were, of course, when you, you know only have 170 yards leading up to your last possession against Ohio State and your quarterback's 18 of 42. Uh, whether you're peeking in on this game from a national perspective or you've watched every single Penn State game, you have concerns and frustrations about where the offense is right now. Um, and, and, you know, they have a rebound to make, and that's going to start with their quarterback. I mean, last we saw Drew Aller, he was in the postgame availability after that matchup, um, you know, openly, you know, crying, and and he owned it. Uh, he owned his performance. He owned his emotions. And I think this is part of that maturation process. We were bound to see him face an adverse, tough situation. And I feel like in a lot of ways, they ripped off uh, the Band-Aid in, in a really brutal way here for Drew Aller. You know, he didn't get to have a bad game individually in a win where we all got to poke holes through him. He had a bad game individually for a terrible game offensively in the national spotlight for his first loss as a, as a starting quarterback at this level. And so when, when you spend the, the preceding three years as the quarterback on the rise, the next big thing at the position nationally – now what's next for Drew Aller psychologically? That's the big rebound question here for me. I, we can talk about all the other stuff on the field, and, and the coaches have a major gut check, and they've got some mirrors to look at and, and some decisions to make and, and all that stuff. But, I mean, it's it's the young quarterback here, fair or not. Uh, when you're rowing that boat offensively, he's the guy at the front. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does go back to, to Drew Aller. Um, you know, James Franklin wasn't asked about him Tuesday afternoon, so I think that that'll probably be something that comes up Wednesday evening after practice And in terms of what, what Franklin has seen from Aller in terms of rebounding, what he learned about him, um, you know, what, what he saw from those emotions. Franklin did make the, the kind of cliched point that, you know, if you didn't see those emotions – uh, after that game, that might be worse. Um, so that he, you know, that the this team really cares about this, and that um, you you know that this team is invested. But uh, I think how Aller comes back fr from this is going to be really, really interesting. And he talked about it after the game. He, he hadn't lost since November 2021 when he was at Medina. That team was 13 and 0, and they lost to I believe St. Edward, which is a really you know, big time Ohio power in the playoffs. Um, but Drew Aller said that that's a feeling that he he doesn't want to feel again that that he doesn't like it, and I you know is that I think that holds true for every competitor. You you know having that taste in your mouth is is going to be is really really tough sometimes. 
Um, so what's, what is this going to look like for Drew Aller? How, how can he learn from defeat? Because, um, you know, he hasn't had a lot of adversity, you know, he, he was in the game at the very end of that Michigan. He was in, in the game at Michigan last year in garbage time when that game was already decided you know, he didn't see the field against Ohio state. So most of his development has happened either behind the scenes as a backup or coming off of wins and trying to improve on different things, but still being able to fall back on, well, we went one to know this week, we got the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's this going to look like? What is Mike Yersich going to do to potentially make things easier for Drew Aller or different for Drew Aller or, you know, you know, unlock some things for this offense. I just think that this offense, you can just go in, in so many directions when you're trying to figure out, okay, like what, what is next for this, for this group? What is there? But I think Saturday we'll learn a lot about Drew Aller. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about rebounding and what we saw from this team last year, you go back to Sean Clifford laying that egg against Michigan and coming back and being the big 10 offensive player of the week against Minnesota. Uh, what what does this look like for Drew Aller? What does a bounce back performance look like from him? And how does he grow from a defeat? I think that these are really some of the questions that we have, um, you know, at a really, really kind of local perspective going forward. Yeah, Drew Aller now, it's a major disparity in his home versus road performances. Uh, and, and you can talk about the defenses that they've faced on the road versus home as well. Uh, but NB Stadium, four starts, 73% completion, 11 touchdown passes. Uh, beyond Beaver Stadium, uh, in those three starts, uh, he is at 48% with two touchdown throws uh, in in three matchups against Big Ten opponents. And and clearly the, the turnovers haven't come, but what I feel like we're maybe seeing slip away a little bit from us in terms of Drew Aller and who he is as a quarterback in the makeup and what I personally want to see happen against the Hoosiers, because let's face it, he's not going to win back all the benefit of the doubt. This offense isn't going to win back all the benefit of the doubt against the Indiana Hoosiers. It's just not the way it's going to be. Things go, go according to plan. It's going to be another three-quarter game for the primary offensive players, uh, and and you know people are going to look at the explode. They look at the uh, the numbers on offense and say, yeah, but what happens when we're going against dot dot dot? And but I think Drew Aller can find his stable footing for himself and for his teammates and for that offensive unit uh, out there by you know, regaining that fluidity to his game. You know, from snap to to the point where he's firing the trigger on the ball. It was poetry in motion. You know, a, a lot of the times when we get to see him out in the field, especially early this year. I mean, review the high school film, some of the stuff we talked about in practice. And I'm just concerned how much he may be compromising that aspect of his game, which I thought was such a key part of his DNA as a five-star quarterback prospect for the sake of being this ball security game manager quarterback. And if that's the conundrum that you have, and he's kind of internally struggling with, with those two items here at midseason, you've got to find a way to make sure that your coaching staff and specifically Mike Yersich can make sure lay out that blueprint. If it's changed since August, make sure he's aware of it. If it hasn't changed since uh, August, then hammer home that it's still the same. But I feel like that's got to be priority number one right now for Mike Yersich. Everything else, we'll talk about some of the other stuff at receiver and, and the ground game in a second, but I think it starts there and clarifying where things are at and what Drowler is supposed to mean for this Penn State offense. Exactly. It, it, it all starts and ends with the quarterback and the quarterback play that Penn State has has had. And I think what it's asked for its quarterback to do so far this year uh, has really centered around taking care of the ball and letting other guys make plays. But you get to the, especially in the running game, but you get to a game like Saturday and you almost stopped asking those other guys to make plays. Um, you know, James Franklin was asked about that 
run run pass disparity and he said that he didn't think it was that the ratio was that far off and he cited that the very last drive of the game is something that skewed that those statistics a little bit um and i think when you get down to it uh before that penn state just hadn't really run that many plays just because they could not stay on the field uh, on on third down so that definitely hamstrung the offense a little bit but uh, i think that you know going into saturday they talked a lot about identity of staying on schedule and, and controlling a game i that's kind of that's an identity that I think you kind of take from the box score, not necessarily from watching a game in terms of being either a ground and pound team or an air it out team, you know, those kinds of general terms. But I think that part of Penn state's identity and what had worked on offense was letting Aller kind of be a more of a cog in a, in a broader machine instead of having him being the one orchestrating everything. And, you know, it really did feel like that it got to points where, it was really on Aller. I mean, some of that is you end up behind the chains on first down, on second down, you kind of have to throw. You know, you are only, you're not able to get into a as many third and shorts as you would have liked. I still think they had six plays of third and fourth, third and four and, and fewer. Um, a couple third and ones that they threw on, which I think I, I wrote about that a little bit. I was fine with the play call on the one third and one to Keandre Lambert-Smith where the ball was tipped at the line. Um, but I think that with Aller, it really, the game kind of ended up on his shoulders, uh, at, at a point in the game flow where it really didn't need to. And in terms of an, of the way that the offense had played through the first six games, it hadn't really been on his shoulders at all. So I, I think it was just a very disjointed performance. And I think that moving forward, Penn state needs to maybe reset a little bit figure out, okay, what is this actually about? What are we going to ask Drew Aller to do? What are we going to ask these running backs to do, these tight ends to do? And what are we even going to get out of these wide receivers <laughs> when, you know, when, when the lights are on? Yeah. Aller, when he's been on, he has shown that innate ability when, when the pocket collapses or when, when he's got to buy a little bit of time to just bring the offense with him, maneuver, bring it with him and then find somebody. And obviously to this point at the college level, it's been, when, when he does that, it's been him getting surgical through the short to intermediate. We haven't seen him aired out uh, coming off of those kind of maneuvers, but I think we've seen a little bit less of that. And maybe part of it is when he's looking to extend plays, looking downfield, where is the trust element right now, Daniel? I, I think that's a fair question to ask. And one, something I asked James Franklin and, and a point that I brought up on our podcast yesterday is that Penn State has made a lot of changes in this receiver room in the last couple of years, most notably firing Taylor Stubblefield and bringing in Marcus Higgins, who spent his entire career prior to this at the University of Virginia, his alma mater. Uh, along the way, between last year and this year, you add eight scholarship receivers to the roster. You have them now. They're either in year one with the program or year two with the program. You've got a couple players who have starting experience at the at the group of uh, group of five level at Kent State with Dante Cephas at Florida State with Malik McLean. And then you have six guys, including four former four stars, who are homegrown talent, guys you brought in from the high school level. We didn't see any of them consistently involved on Saturday. We saw Caden Saunders get involved late. He caught a touchdown. He was out there for that you know, final possession with a couple minutes remaining in the game. So was Dante Cephas. Dante Cephas had a few snaps prior to that over the course of the matchup. He ended up with a dozen snaps total. It was all Trey Wallace and Keandre Lambert-Smith at wide receiver. And, of course, coming out of this matchup, James Franklin, when talking about Drowler's struggles, in the post game was very quick to say, well, we need our wide receivers to gain separation. So the question becomes, 
Well, the wide receivers out there was really only two of them. You, I mean, you, you had Liam Clifford in the slot, but it's Keandre Lambert-Smith who has been the top target. He had 12 of those targets on the road in Columbus. And then it's Harrison Wallace. And when bringing up his name again today, today to James and bringing up the group, he stuck with the theme that we've heard from him since spring ball. It's Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace, then a cluster of everybody trying to figure out where they are. I think Liam Clifford has a spot figured out with that slot role. But there's a lot of people in that group. You, Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, Malik McLean, Malik Mega. Uh, you know, you can talk about Anthony Ivy and Tyler Johnson, and, and these are all guys who have been brought in on scholarship. And then Dante Cephas is the big one because he was so productive at his last stop and has not been thus far here at Penn State. Now, I was, I think this answer from James Franklin, while he did not get into any specific names, is not going to make anyone feel better. I certainly didn't come out of it feeling that there's any more clarity. He came down to saying, you know, there's missed assignments that we're not seeing. There's practice sessions and lack of consistency that we are not seeing. And then there's what actually happens on game day, which we have had a chance to see. And, and, and the film that's been accrued to this point has not validated anybody in gaining separation. So you're in a situation now where James Franklin is saying, hey, Harrison Wallace is a solidified guy. And I go back to what I said last podcast. He's played in about 20 college games. He has one career touchdown. Uh, I think he has fewer than 40 career catches. That's a lot to hang your hat on when you're going into the meat of your schedule, and that's exactly what they did. And I'm not pinning this on Harrison Wallace. I'm just pointing to the fact that either, A, they don't trust the rest of this room that they've put together in the past couple of years with a new uh, head coach you know, or with a new receivers coach having eyeballs on these guys now going back to last January, or uh, they really are, are invested and they're seeing something really special in Harrison Wallace that just isn't translating to game days. It was really a, a deja vu moment hearing James Franklin answer your question today because it was pretty much the exact same things that we heard in the spring in terms of you have Keandre Lambert-Smith, Harrison Wallace, and everybody else. Um, and, and separation comes up a couple times in, <clears throat> excuse me, in different contexts where first you have the, the on-field in-game separation in terms of guys trying to get open, making themselves available to Drew Aller, and that just not really coming to fruition. Then you have the other separation, which is in terms of looking for that big mass of guys there, you know, one who will step up, who will gain the separation there. Um, so in multiple respects, that's that separation, something that Penn State has had some issues with. But I, I think you look at this wide receiver group and how you have that top two. It seems like Liam Clifford is the number one guy in the slot. But then you look at the snap counts, like you round up every week, and he's routinely outsnapped, I, I believe, by Tyler Warren. So, and Harris, yeah, and let's just talk about separation here. Harrison Wallace, 69 snaps. Keandre Lambert Smith, 62 snaps. Next up at receiver, Liam Clifford, 23 snaps. Cephas had a dozen. Caden Saunders played that final possession. Omari Evans, Malik McLean, Malik Mega did not get on the field for this offensive group, which was desperately searching for some kind of spark. And I know that James Franklin says they were limited in their opportunities and limited in their player usage and limited in touches because of the third downs. But it's kind of a chicken and egg situation as well with, with you know, why are you ending up in third down spots? And it's also, you know, what, three completions out of 11 pass attempts on third downs for Drew Aller. And, and, and they didn't move the chains on one of those until that final possession. Yeah, it's just a, a very kind of bleak picture at this point in the season in terms of what you have on the roster 
what you have, even in terms of past performance with some of these players, you look at what Dante Sivas did at Kent State, you look at what Malik McLean was able to do against West Virginia. Um, you even look at what you had in Omari Evans and his That's the brief. one. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what, what happened? He played in all 13 games as a freshman. If he's healthy right now, I mean, based on the practice stuff, based on the availability report, he is. That's probably the most startling thing here because Malik McLean showed up and, and had to play catch up in January. And then you got Dante Cephas playing catch up in, in the summer. But it felt like the way he came out of spring went into summer, what we saw in the blue white game and what that was supposed to match up with the rest of his spring ball work for him to just fizzle out of the rotation in this way. Um, you know, he's working with a new receivers coach. We, uh, we, we, we don't, we haven't talked to Marcus Higgins in a bit. We're probably due for one of those conversations. We got some catching up to do, but that is probably the more glaring, the most glaring absence to me is because Omari Evans kind of felt like starter, you know, that, that th third and a half guy this summer mm -hmm. when we talked about it. And you talk about what Omari Evans skill set is. It's that speed. It's getting vertical. We saw that in the blue-white game. We saw that last year when he had that first touchdown catch from Drew Aller against Ohio where he was able to get open downfield. And we've been talking a lot about Penn State's lack of explosive plays, the lack of a downfield passing game, um, all of that stuff kind of you know going together. So I think that Omari Evans is someone who who pops up as a, a bit of a baffler there um, and, and something that will, you know, once again, Wednesday night, be keeping an eye out on for on the practice field. But I, I just think overall this wide receiver group, you know, you're really, really searching for for someone to step up, uh, for someone to really make that leap. But at this point, you've been waiting for that more or less since March, since mm -hmm. April. Um, and, and that hasn't really come together. And so, you know, how much is that hamstringing Drew Aller in terms of not having a a real you know, an ability to build chemistry, have these guys on the field and, and get things going. How much is that hamstring what the offense wants to do in terms of utilizing different skill sets to do, to do different things? Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I still think that I still believe that we're going to see some good things from Harrison Wallace down the stretch. I do think that like, I don't think what we saw from him against West Virginia was a mirage no. in terms of the, the way that he played in that game and what he was able to bring to the offense but you would have really, really liked to have that against Ohio State on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's you know Carmelo Taylor's the the only freshman that they brought in this year. Malik McLean and Dante Cephas were out of the portal this year, and then you think about what turned out to be a five man wide receiver class last year, led by Caden Saunders, a top one hundred prospect. But uh, you also had Anthony Ivy, uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, Omari Evans, and then Christian Driver, who spent his first year on campus at cornerback and is now working at the slot. That's again eight scholarship investments. That's essentially ten percent, just about uh, of the scholarship totality uh, for this team, and 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 just not seeing any of them involved in, in snaps that really counted in Columbus. It just kind of, um, it was, it was something that was very noticeable, I think just for, for a lot of us who follow the team and kind of already understood that wide receiver was a spot that, that we had to be following all season long. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Daniel, it's uh, a few more minutes before we get over to uh, to Indiana preview uh, with one of our insiders in the 24-7 Sports Network. But a few more things to get to on the conversation. Um, 
the defense, or, or I'm sorry, with the availability, uh, which, which we should mention, you're talking about keeping an eye out for some of these receivers. We got to keep an eye out for Chop Robinson and Amin Vanover uh, on, on the practice field on Wednesday. Both of them left early uh, from the matchup against Ohio State, did not return. Chop Robinson's was a particularly scary looking situation. Fortunately, though, James Franklin, uh, when asked about that situation in the press conference today, says he didn't believe it was going to be a long term deal. Uh, you know, certainly didn't mention anything about season ending and, and talked about you know, hoping to have Chop Robinson back soon. Whether soon means, you know, Saturday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, we get a look at him. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but but something to keep tabs on. Two important defensive ends. If if they were both out of action or even one out of action, I think we we start to look at Jameel Lyons, who's played three games. The next one would hit that four game threshold with his red shirt, uh, and he could be called upon to be a next man up if either of those players have some kind of an extended absence at defensive end. Um, Daniel, the defensive uh, evaluation from James Franklin, he said it wouldn't be fair to be too critical. The one thing he did go to was the awareness uh, against Marvin Harrison Jr. He felt like that slipped for their defense and, and for the players on the field as the matchup went on. They went so heavy with three cornerbacks in this game. Uh, it was Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy. All three of them started. All three of them stuck on the field just about the entire way through. King you know, chalked up to be, if you look at the pro football focus ratings, chalked up to be his worst day in you know, a Penn State uniform uh, in terms of that. So how much of those ratings apply to defensive backs and all the scheme coverage fits is not good, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a great day uh, for, for, for Kalen King in, in, in some of those matchups downfield. I think overall, when you look at this, what's that to you? You did a rewind. How did you feel they handled Marvin Harrison? Because to hear James Franklin say, I, I thought we played excellent on defense, but that awareness, they say use the word awareness with Marvin Harrison. He felt like eroded as the game went on. And, and as we saw, Penn State failed to find solutions offensively. Ohio State went to Harrison, fed him, and he got to the end zone ultimately. I think it's a credit to Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and the way that they were able to scheme Marvin Harrison open a little bit. We, we talked about it a little bit after the game that you have Mar Marvin Harrison Jr. running these crossers where it's Abdul Carter is the closest guy next to him or uh, there's a or he catches the ball and there's a safety that he just has to beat in order to get a big gain. Um, I think that Ohio State did a did a really nice job of using Harrison in different ways. We saw him lined up in, in different positions on the field to get into different matchups. I sent you and Mark the the screenshot last night and I pointed it out to Mark in, in real time where there was one set where Dom DeLuca was lined up over Marvin Harrison Jr. out wide and I think that you know if you're Ohio State, that's a matchup you're taking you know eight days a week. Um, but the coverage on that, it was a zone play. Um, so DeLuca wasn't completely responsible for Harrison, but he still catches the ball and there's no one within 10, 15 yards of him upfield, and it's a 35-yard gain. Um, so I, I think that Ohio State just did such a nice job of um, you know, using Marvin Harrison and getting him into open spaces in the defense. Um, you know, I haven't watched every single Ohio State game this year, so I don't know how different necessarily that is uh, in terms of his usage in the past. But you know, he set a career high with 11 catches. So, you know, they were really, really emphasizing having him open with, with Travion Henderson and Emeka Gwuka out. You knew that Marvin Harrison was going to get even more attention uh, and be even more of a focus than he already was. Um, and I think that Ohio State just did a, a better job there um, in terms of that. At the same time, though, I mean, you have Marvin Harrison putting up big numbers for the second year in a row, but your team is still in a position to win. 
uh, depending on a couple of things happening on offense. So I, I think that there is an element of Marvin Harrison was going to get his no matter what happened out there, just because I believe he's that level of player. I think that he's probably going to be a top five pick uh, in April, but he was able to, I think in the bigger spots, Penn State might have lost track of him a little bit or Ohio State used him in a way where they were able to, to free him up and get open. But again, James Franklin wanted to emphasize, it felt like, he, you know, every time he was kind of saying you know, the whole team across the board takes some, takes the blame for a loss, he was really making a point to say as an amendment, offensively, though, especially we had, you know, really pointing to say that clearly this was a skewed situation and how the matchup went offensive versus defense. And uh, you, you would hope that doesn't wouldn't create any kind of schism in a locker room after a matchup like that. It, it's again, one of those gut check moments in a few different ways, egos, mentality, something you got to deal with internally when you got a locker room with a hundred plus guys and, and a massive staff on campus. And a lot of people had high expectations for what, what happened in Columbus. And when that gets adjusted, you got to recalibrate and, and resurface on the practice field here on a Tuesday and get ready for Indiana. We do have a, I promise this will be the last time we mentioned Marvin Harrison, I think on the podcast, but if you want to learn a little bit more about what went down in this matchup and, and how, how it all shaped up for Penn state, uh, Daniel's got a great, very thorough rewind piece that he does each week, week, week for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. Uh, that came up on, on Monday night. And then this morning on Tuesday, I have our complete breakdown of the snap counts uh, for Penn State against uh, against Ohio State. Really interesting stuff. Tightened up in a lot of areas. Didn't see nearly as much uh, implementation of backups or freshmen as you as you'd probably expect. But we learned a little bit more about how the staff viewed its talent, I think, coming out of the first six weeks in the bye week. And we'll see how they feel about it moving ahead and if it looks a little bit different when they package it out next time for Indiana and then Maryland and ultimately Michigan. I wanted to finish up with a bit of a look uh, at basketball before I turn our attention over to the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, you got a longer look at the Nittany Lions basketball squad. I'm sure you could use a few of them because there's a ton of new faces out on the court. This has been completely rebuilt largely by the transfer portal with the new coaching staff. Uh, talk us through what you and Mark Brennan encountered uh, over at Team Facilities on Monday. Yeah, we had Penn State Basketball Media Day on Monday. We had Mike Rhodes with a half-hour news conference. Uh, the three team captains, Kanye Clary, Ace Baldwin, and Puff Johnson, available for a presser. Breakout sessions for 30 minutes with uh, all the assistants and all the players. And then we got to watch about a half hour of practice. I, I think the one thing that stands out is this team is going to play fast. They're going to try to be disruptive. They're going to try to cause some havoc. Uh, and that could end up being a lot of fun. Um, I, I think that we, I think we know anyone who's followed Penn State basketball for a while knows that there's going to be some bumps in the road. This team is going to have to take its lumps. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy, especially playing in the Big Ten. But I think that the collection of talent that they've put together, the transfers that they brought in, the players that they've gotten to come back, um, I think it can be some really, really entertaining basketball. Uh, you know, Penn State, they, they have some size this year uh, with guys that they added through the transfer portal. Uh, they've got tall shooters, uh, a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. I think when you see them on the court, it's a very physically impressive group of players. You know, how that tr makes its way through the Big Ten, I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> you know, how smooth. I don't think there will be any smooth sailing there, um, but I think the early impressions are are pretty positive, and I think you can really see the clear identity that Mike Rhodes is trying to build uh, and and what he wants this team to look like. So, you know, I think that Penn State fans are going to get to know Ace Baldwin pretty well very quickly, the former A-10 player of the year and defensive player of the year. 
Um, Kanye Clary, I think, is in for a really big sophomore year. I think he's going to have a lot of responsibility. And then Puff Johnson coming in from North Carolina. You know, Penn State has a lot of these guys. You, know, you have Puff Johnson and DeMarco Dunn, who were in a national championship game two years ago. You have Favor Ira, Ira the you know, big man who transferred in from Miami. He was in a Final Four last year. Ace Baldwin and Nick Kern Jr. were in the in the tournament last year at VCU. And then the three Penn State guys, Clary, Jameel Brown, and Demetrius Lilly, you know, they're in the NCAA tournament last year. So you've got these guys that have this postseason experience that have won. Um, and I think it just makes for a very interesting culture. And I think it'll make for a very interesting on-court product. So uh, we're less than three weeks away, two weeks away from the start of that game. It's sneaking up from the start of the season, but yeah. it'll be here before we know it. And I think it'll be pretty fun. Hard to believe you guys did a fantastic job following last season, uh, that coverage all the way into March Madness and, and a memorable finish. And then, of course, what happened then? And, and you guys just kept at it and at it. Um, and, and you'll get a chance to see this group. Uh, good stuff over at lines247.com. If you need a little bit of break from the coverage of the Buckeyes matchup or just want to get to know this basketball team a little bit. Full photo gallery. Uh, Daniel has a great breakdown for our VIP subscribers of what he was hearing and seeing out in the practice court. And, and, and additionally, uh, just a lot of takeaways from conversations with the, the head coach and, and with a lot of these first-year players. Daniel, great stuff covering two different sports for us, as always, here on the podcast. And we'll be back on the practice field tomorrow with you. Thanks, Tyler. Just one more thing to keep an eye out for on the site. I still have some Ethan Grunkemeyer uh, coverage from last weekend out in Columbus. Wanted to let Ohio State breathe a little bit more. Uh, before looking towards the future, but keep an eye out uh, for that in a couple of days uh, online 24 seven and uh, go Phillies. Excellent. Take care, man. Thanks, Tyler. Let's bring in Jared Kelly now who covers Indiana for 24 seven sports each and every week. We are very fortunate to be able to tap into our fantastic network of beat reporters. And Jared is on that in Bloomington and we welcome him now to the lines 24 seven podcast. How you doing? I'm good, Tyler. Thanks for uh, having me. I heard you guys just talking about some basketball. It's basketball season a little bit. I know for Indiana fans, it's uh, probably better than what we're getting for football right now. So, I feel like most of the time when we get to this point in the season, the game's typically in mid-October, late October, maybe early November. The, whoever we're talking to on the Indiana side on this show, they're usually like, yeah, getting into basketball mode around here. Now, there's a couple of years, you know, Michael Penix years where it was a different story in Bloomington, but that feels like a long time ago. This team now... Two and five on the year. I was kind of stunned to look at this. Two and 20 in conference action going back to the start of the 2021 season. Jared, can you just give us a synopsis thus far through seven games of why it has been such a struggle for Indiana? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing you look at is they have no quarterback play seven games into the season. Um, Indiana you know, did not go out in the portal and get a veteran quarterback this year. You lost Jack Tuttle to Michigan, who transferred to Michigan. Obviously, Michael Penix two years ago to Washington. So Indiana really came into the season with two unproven redshirt freshmen and Brendan Soresby, Taven Jackson, um, uh, battling out for the starting quarterback spot. And neither of those guys through seven games have really uh, done anything to, to stake their claim to the starting spot. Taven Jackson uh, started four games through, uh, in the middle of the season, and then Brendan Soresby just replaced Taven Jackson um, last weekend against Rutgers. Uh, but neither of them have played really well. So obviously it starts at the quarterback spot. And then midseason as well, you had a quarterback, uh, the offensive coordinator change from uh, Walt Bell to Rod Carey, which has also kind of muddied up a lot of the offensive production. So I think a lot of it starts on the offensive side of the ball, but the defense has not been great either. Um, a lot of the same mistakes from Indiana's past two seasons have, have come back this year. You know, self, self-inflicted mistakes, special teams mistakes. Um, it's, it really is a case of Indiana just cannot get out of its own way this year. 
So Indiana opened up a, an effort that I was called call scrappy. It kind of got a lot of people's attention, 23-3 to three against Ohio State. You know, not, not really a major threat there, but Ohio State didn't bounce them the way people thought. But a win over Indiana State in Week 2, they followed that with a seven-point loss against Louisville and a two a four-overtime two-point win against Akron. Since then, with Big Ten play ramping up, 44 to 17 loss at Maryland, a 52 to 7 loss at Michigan. And then uh, last week at home against Rutgers, a 31 14 loss. Scarlet Knights win their sixth game. They get bull eligibility. You've got a team here in Indiana that's like, okay, we're, we're going down another rung of the ladder in the Big Ten East. And, you know, what is the vibe right now around a head coach in Tom Allen who did enjoy some very good moments with this program, but they, they, they are getting further and further behind us? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. The at least from the fan ba- fan point uh, fan base perspective, it's it's not great uh, when when you you know just look around the current landscape. I mean, like you said, Indiana's only won two Big Ten games uh, in the last two years, which is not good at all. Uh, you know, a lot of fans really really disappointed in Tom Allen's decision making, whether it's personnel, whether it's coaching staff. Um, and and you mentioned the two wins this year: Indiana State, obviously an FCS opponent, which Indiana should win that game, and then Akron, you know, by no means a world beater uh, from the MAC. They had to go to two, uh, three overtimes, I think it was, or four overtimes just to beat Akron. And that was really the game where you kind of felt like, okay, this is, you know, this is really problematic if Indiana doesn't figure out these issues, if they can't, you know, get past the MAC team easily. And, and we've seen a lot of these things play out. So I think, you know, with five games left in the year, you're already past the bye week Indiana is. You're really at the point where it's kind of, you know, you, you really had to have that Rutgers win at home. They didn't do that. Um, you know, and Indiana really needs to go four and one the rest of the way if they you know, want a chance to, to go bowling this year. And I don't think a lot of fans have too much confidence in that at this point. Indiana, of course, beat uh, Penn State in the season opener in 2020, which didn't occur until just about Halloween because of the pandemic. That year, Indiana went on to, to be six and two. They finished uh, in the top 15 overall national rankings. Michael Penix was a great story on, until his injury. Uh, but they have followed that with a clunker, you know, two and ten, four and eight, two and five now. And you've mentioned some of the issues. I think I want to go back to, to one in particular because quarterback play. Uh, if you're not bringing a quarterback in a Beaver Stadium this year, I just don't know how you're going to get it done really and, and make this a competitive matchup. Uh, it appears based on me taking a look at your site earlier that you had a chance to hear from Indiana's uh, recently promoted offensive coordinator, Rod Carey. What is he saying about the quarterback situation right now? Yeah, it, it does seem like Brendan Soresby, who just uh, took over took over the starting job from Taven Jackson, it uh, fits more of Rod Carey's sort of uh, offensive play calling style or, or how he wants to run the offense, which is really a, a ground and pound sort of uh, dual threat type running quarterback. Um, he actually, if you remember, Rod Carey in 2012 was part of that uh, Northern Illinois prolific uh, Orange Bowl team that had Jordan Lynch. He was a Heisman candidate. Um, obviously, he ran the, you know, just ran the ball down every opponent's throat. So I think you, uh, if, if Rod Carey has it his way at Indiana, that's sort of the offense he envisions, but right now it, it just hasn't been going, um, you know, as he had hoped, obviously. But with Brennan Soresby, uh, I think he does open up the offense a little bit more. He can beat you with with his legs. He can't hurt you on the ground um, if you're not careful. Um, but but his 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 performance through the air so far has has left some to be desired. And then also there is the caveat that redshirt junior Dexter Williams, who was the starter last year for Indiana, in the last two games, he uh, led Indiana to an overtime win over Michigan State last year, but then. He tore his ACL in the in the regular season finale. Um, he is still recovering from that knee injury, but he could be available any day now. So I think there is a good chance, not a good chance, but a chance that he does play against Penn State if uh, Brennan Swordsby isn't, isn't getting the job done. 
it seems to me then that this will require a group effort offensively that they can't lean on the quarterback. So when we look at the supplemental pieces here coming into the matchup against Penn State, I, I reviewed the stat sheet for the Hoosiers through these seven games, and there's no one you know, leading the charge at rushing and no one leading the charge at receiver. But if you had to point to some playmakers, that could be pesky for Penn State. Who would they be? Yeah, I mean, all season it's, you know, the, the talk has been around Jalen Lucas, uh, the All-American true freshman from last year, returning this year. Uh, but really this year, Lucas has really struggled to kind of get going, um, aside from maybe a handful of plays here and there. He's really electric if he can get into the open field. But Indiana really hasn't uh, found a way to, to get him the ball in, in, you know, key situations that much this year. Um, and then you also have Cam Camper on the outside who tore his ACL halfway through last year. But he, I think he was leading the, the Big Ten in catches and receiving yards before he tore his ACL last year. Uh, so those two guys are are definitely you know game changers if if you know they can get going. Same with uh, Donovan McCauley on the outside. Um, yeah, running back Indiana's kind of banged up right now with Josh Henderson, uh, the, the the senior starter. He's been out for multiple weeks now, so we'll see if he even plays. Um, but but just overall in offense, there hasn't been a whole lot of production that you can lean on. So if, if Indiana wants to even keep this game comp competitive, it's going to have to use Lucas and, and Cam Camper and find ways to get that those two guys going. You mentioned uh, some injury concerns there. Any, just generally speaking, here uh, early in the week, injury issues that you think could keep a guy out or will keep a guy out that could impact Indiana? Yeah, the, uh, I just mentioned uh, uh, Josh Henderson. We'll see if he plays. I think he's getting closer um, to, to to at least getting back on the practice field. Um, so that would be big for Indiana's uh, rushing game if he can get back. And then on defense, Indiana will probably uh, be, without, be without at least one starting defensive back, Noah Pierre, who is a sixth-year senior. He's been – uh, really crucial to to what they do in the secondary, and then Philip Dunham, who has three interceptions this year. Uh, you, you know, you can make an argument that he's been Indiana's most consistent defensive, or at least secondary player. He uh, got banged up last week against Rutgers as well, um, so we'll see if he he comes back. But he did not return in that game, so we don't know his status either. But uh, across the board, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, Indiana's really struggled on that side, and that's really Tom Allen's calling card as defense. And for the past three years, it just hasn't been great. So if you take out two key key starters in the secondary, that, that complicates things even more. Uh, Indiana uh, last in, in scoring defense, last in scoring offense, not a great combination. But if there have been some positives that, that you see consistently popping up game to game to game, and I know you got to look a little bit further into detail when teams are losing, but um, where are those positives? You know, something that we should be aware of that, that maybe they can match up well with against Penn State or, or to give them a fighting chance in some areas. Mm -hmm. I think last week against Rutgers, who surprisingly the, the Scarlet Knights have been pretty good on defense this year. Uh, Indiana started to find a way to run the ball really well, especially between the tackles. Uh, so if they can find more success on the ground, it could open some things up in the passing game a little bit. Uh, and then you look at the defensive side of the ball. I think uh, Aaron Casey, the six-year senior linebacker, he's, I think, top 10, top five in the Big Ten in a host of different categories. Uh, you know, when Indiana is a big play on defense, Aaron Casey is usually a guy who steps up. You look at the defensive line as well. Uh, Andre Carter, the Western Michigan transfer, he was second team all Mac last year. He's been a really, really good addition to the defensive line this year, um, both tackles for loss, sacks, uh, you know, just forcing kind of chaos in the backfield. Uh, so there's, you know, th there's not a whole lot if you're Indiana to, to hang your hat on at this, at this point, but, um, you know, a couple individual players having good seasons. And I guess, generally speaking, what do you think about this matchup for Indiana coming off the loss against Rutgers? Does it feel like a situation going against a top 10 opponent in Beaver Stadium that they're going to lift themselves up for? Or is that a concern for you? Is it maybe why even bother getting lifted for this matchup? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The, the the morale just around the 
around the team um, do- doesn't feel great right now. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm not saying that the team isn't bought in or they're not still focused and whatnot, but uh, you could really tell they they really wanted that Rutgers win the players did. And, and to not get that has to be, um, you know, really, really crushing. Um, so to go to Penn State now and have to, you know, s- somehow find a way, you know, find a way to dig yourself back up. Um, you know, we saw what happened with Indiana against Michigan. They, they had a good first quarter against Michigan on the road and then just completely fell apart in the final three quarters. Um, you could see something like that similar against Penn State where Indiana starts off, you know, feeling good in, in the first, you know, few drives um, only to fall apart. So uh, I, I think you will see some players who, who really do want to, um, you know, you know, bounce back against Penn State. But I think when you look at it as a whole, it's going to be a really, really tough uphill climb for Indiana. Um, so just, I guess my, before I get to the prediction time and ask you about how this one shapes up and what your, what your pick is for the score, um, Tom Allen has been there for a while now and, and through his first five seasons, he was 24 and 22 and maybe on the surface, that doesn't sound like a great record, two games over 500, but when you're at Indiana and competing in the big 10, that's an impressive record. But since then eight and 23, now he's been paid well by this college and, 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 you know, he had some good years, but it's been a while. I'm curious, do you think if things keep trending in the right direction, that he will realistically retain his job after this season? Or you think that that's a, a long shot if things keep going this way? Well, the big thing you look at, you know, this has obviously been a topic of conversation for a while now with Tom Allen is, is the buyout, right? Uh, his buyout after I think December 1st drops down to 20, 20 million and some change or whatever. Um, and with Indiana, we'll see if they, if they want to pony up the $20 million um, to, to buy him out. And then you also have to consider if you do, you know, make a switch there, and you also have to find the money to hire a new head coach, hire a completely new staff, um, and then also make you know serious, meaningful investments on the football side of things as well, um, which which has been a, a big talking point for Indiana fans. So I mean, th- there's a lot of money that needs to, to to that that is going to drive this decision. Um, I mean, if you look at it right now, if Indiana keeps trending the way it is, um, and and you know maybe squeak out one more win this year, it's I think you're looking at a you're going to have a hard time justifying keeping Tom Allen around. Um, now we'll see, obviously it's, it's up to the fighting department if they want to pony up that money, if they can find that money. But um, I think you would have a really, really tough justification to keep Tom Allen around. All right, Jared, judging off the conversation thus far, I'm not anticipating you to pick an upset here on our show, but what do you think in terms of the forecast for Saturday afternoon here in happy Valley uh, in terms of the way it plays out and then what the final score shows? Yeah, I think the first thing is Indiana has not played well on the road. They have not responded well to to road environments, um, but they have showed an ability uh, to keep the game relatively close. You know, first quarter, first few drives. Um, so I think Indiana will come out strong. Maybe su- surprise Penn State a little bit, punch them a little bit in the mouth. Um, but I, I really think once you know hit halftime hits and the, those adjustments are made, uh, Penn State should have no problem pulling away. Especially if Indiana's offense doesn't get going like it has uh, all year this year. So. Um, I'll say Indiana, we'll say, we'll say Indiana scores 10 points, maybe. Um, and then I'll get Penn state. I think Penn state covers the spread. So we'll say 45 to 10. Jared Kelly covers Indiana Hoosiers where it's almost basketball season, but he's doing his diligence on the football beat as well. Jared, we appreciate the perspective really do. Uh, and, and I know you're a relative newcomer to, to our 24 seven sports family. So really happy to have you on board. If you ever need anything from us, whether it's this game week or moving down the road, please don't hesitate to ask. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tyler. You guys do uh, great work over here on the Penn state side. So great. Good, good to be on. All right. Take care. 
All right, good stuff from Jared. Prior to him, we had Daniel Gallen here from our Lions 24-7 team. Mark Brennan has full video of James Franklin's press conference up on the site at lions247.com. So you can see that for yourself and get a good read along the way uh, this week as we give you live updates from player conversations. we got another coach conversation uh, later in the week as well with a member of the assistant staff. And we'll be back at practice on Wednesday. We are back with another podcast on Thursday and, of course, post game. Saturday to break things down after number 10 Penn State takes on the two and five Indiana Hoosiers. For now, we're stepping aside. Thanks as always for tuning into our coverage, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening wherever you listen to your podcast. For now, stepping aside, this is Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24 7 podcast.